Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hello and welcome to the Healthy Herb Podcast, a place of information and inspiration for the home herbalist. I'm Bridget Doherty of the Soledago School of Herbalism, coming to you from a bridged island on the coast of Maine. In today's show, I'm talking all about tinctures, what they are, different ways to make them, what to make them with. Before we get started, I want you to know that I'm not a doctor, nor do I diagnose or treat people. What I share is based on my own experience and what I've learned from my mentors. Ultimately, I want you to be empowered in seeking and achieving your own version of optimum health. I want you to be inspired to connect and relate to the common plants that grow all around you. Together, let's make home herbalism be as common in the everyday household as cooking a healthy meal. Now, without further ado, let's have some fun and dig in. Well, today I am excited to be back with you here at the podcast. Sorry, it's been a minute. Uh, You know, life is busy and full. And I really have been thinking a lot about this episode of all about tinctures and tincture making. And um, there's a lot to talk about. I did have uh, one listener ask if I would talk about tinctures or do an episode on them. And I was delighted that that was a question. And the more I thought about it, I mean, I've definitely taught tincture classes before, and I just really wanted this podcast episode, which essentially I feel like all my podcast episodes are little mini classes. Um, But I just really wanted to dive deep into tincture making. I wanted to talk about, um, you know, what is a tincture? Why do we tincture the history behind tincture making and distillation of alcohol? Um, I wanted to talk about the types of alcohol that are used and the three different methods of making tinctures and why I make them the way that I make them and then how and then tips on how to make a really good uh, tincture as a home herbalist. So let's dive in because there's a lot of information to cover here. So number one, what is a tincture? I mean, I think we go into health food stores or natural pharmacies or, and we see, um, you know, these shelves that are just lined with these little one or two ounce brown bottles that have dropper caps coming out of them. And it looks very medicinal, very like an apothecary or an old world apothecary, maybe even. Um, Although I don't think they had rubber droppers 
in old world apothecaries, but I don't know. Anyway, it just has that feel, that medicinal feel. Um, so maybe you think that, you know, a tincture is any kind of herbal medicine that comes in a small bottle. Um, but really, a tincture very specifically is, is an alcohol extract. It's technically a solution that has ethanol as the solvent. Ethanol is like the pure form of alcohol. So it also will have some percentage of water in it. You can never really have or at least maintain like 100% pure ethanol. If you did, it would be a very, very caustic substance. Ethanol unto itself is actually quite caustic. It's used um, as fuel. It's used as cleaning. It's used as a, you know, antiseptic. It's um, just really, really intense stuff. And it harms our liver and kidneys, as we know, if we consume too much of it. But in the medicinal form, there's there's water that's added into that ethanol for a tincture. Now, a, some people will say that tinctures can be made from glycerin and can be made from vinegar, but those specifically have other terms. So a, um, a medicine where glycerin, which is a vegetable sugar, basically, um, is used as the solvent, that's called a glycerite. Okay, it's not a tincture. It might be in a dropper bottle. It might look like a tincture bottle, but it's a glycerite. And the vinegar, when vinegar is a solvent, then that is called an acetum, A-C-E-T-U-M. Um, so like aceta, acetic acid. Um, so those, and I think it's important that we define this because when we are talking in herbalism, I think, you know, because we're so grassroots, which is awesome. I love that American herbalism is so grassroots, but we get so much information and words start to blur and lose their meaning. And I think it's really important just for clarifying and for understanding and for communicating that we really use the proper words, you know, a tincture, a glycerite or an acetum um, or infused vinegar. Usually some people say acetum's kind of the least common word I would say that's used. But because different solvents extract different things. So a glycerite is not equal to a tincture and neither is an acetum. Glycerin is going to act very differently than alcohol does, as does vinegar. They extract different constituents. They might have a shorter shelf life than, than tinctures do. So I think it's good that we stay clear. So that's what a tincture is, is a solution that has ethanol as a solvent. I would say that tinctures most often refer to an herbal medicine where herbs are extracted or constituents of herbs are extracted into the ethanol solvent, ethanol and water solvent combination. And we'll get into, you know, that can be different percentages of ethanol to water. And we'll get into that in a little bit. So why, why do we tincture? Well, I would say an obvious reason is it's a great way to preserve your herbs or your herbal medicine. Uh, 
tinctures can last a very long time under the right conditions. I mean, think about when does alcohol expire, right? It, it doesn't. It's, it's a very non-reactive uh, anti, you know, it's going to fight any, any kind of microbes that might make it go bad. So it just, it, alcohol is a preservative. Not only that, but as a solvent, alcohol extracts and concentrates um, medicinal constituents from plants. Now, this word medicinal is interesting because most often the medicinal constituents of plants could also be considered the poisons of plants, the poisonous constituents of plants. Now, because we are human and we're large animals and we've um, coexisted with plants forever since we've been human, um, we have learned to be able to tolerate those poisons and actually use them to our advantage for health and healing, except for really poisonous, some, some plants, plants that are poisonous to humans. But a lot of these poisonous, quote unquote, poisonous or medicinal constituents of plants are poisonous to, you know, insects or small animals. They are a lot of the plant's protection, like the volatile oils, say, would be an example. Or they are definitely poisonous to microbes, bacteria, viruses, fungus, like um, even resins of trees. You know, those are there to heal the tree's wounds and to prevent infection. So they would be poisonous to some creatures like small microbes. And when we think of medicine in modern day scientific tradition of healing, our medicine, our poisons, all the pharmaceutical drugs, like those are concentrated, extracted, or now synthesized constituents, but they were originally constituents that were found in plants that were then extracted and concentrated and purified. And then they were poisonous parts of plants that we could then use in small amounts and regulated doses so we knew which would be safe for human consumption. For a drug, for a, pre for a prescription drug to be allowed to go on the market, it's LD50 has to be um, found and LD50 stands for lethal dose at 50% of the population. So uh, by definition, a pharmaceutical drug has to at some dosage, hopefully it's a very high dosage, um, will kill a, you know, 50% of a population. And it's usually I think of, you know, rodents or mice that they are that they are discerning this dosage at. And we know, we know that pharmaceutical drugs are poisons to the body. They, they are medicinal, they have other effects on the body, but they can also challenge and harm the body in other ways as well. Just watch an advertisement for them, right? And then at the end, it's like a minute long of, oh, but it could do this, that, and that, and, and how it poisons you by side effects. So the alcohol is a great solvent for actually extracting these more medicinal or poisonous parts of the plant. And it really can make um, a potent medicine. And potent is, that's another word that I, we hear a lot. People love this word, like potent medicine. I want this like 
I want to make a potent herbal medicine or, and the word potent, it, it means what, like very strong, right? Um, or very um, potent. It actually also can refer to a male's ability to inseminate, <laughs> too, potent. Um, so this this idea of potent, making a potent medicine, I think is what, and the desire for potency is what has led us down almost the slippery slope toward pharmaceutical medicine, which is really potent medicine, right? Very specific and very strong. So yes, like tinctures can make a potent medicine and the stronger the the more concentrated the alcohol is in the solution in the solution the more potent the medicine is but from my perspective from what i've learned from the wise woman tradition of healing is you know maybe we don't necessarily want the most potent medicine right we maybe want the more well-rounded and nourishing medicine things to consider and think about. And if you start really paying attention to this word potent, it is out there a lot in herbal medicine today. So also something to understand is there is a spectrum of solubility of constituents. So some constituents need really a lot of alcohol, high percentage of alcohol to extract them. Resins, tree resins being an example, or even um, you know cannabis resins, are, you know, they need like to be able to come into the solution. It needs to be a very high solution of alcohol. Some constituents need uh, more water to alcohol ratio. Um, and then there are some plants constituents that are not soluble in alcohol at all. So, when we are making tinctures, we want to think about what type of constituents we are trying to extract uh, from the plant and concentrate. So as I was saying, there's resins, um, there's alkaloids, which are the more poisonous parts of the plant, uh, glycosides, volatile oils. Um, also, people know those as essential oils. When they are extracted, concentrated, and purified into a drug form, they become essential oils. Uh, but they will extract into alcohol. Tannins, um, which are very astringent and often will turn a tincture like a dark brown color. Um, organic acids, chlorophyll, which uh, you know you notice at first you might make a tincture and it will with a really green plant and it will turn like bright green. And then over time, the tannins will extract like chlorophyll will extract really quickly. And then after that, like the tannins will start extracting longer. And you'll see a color change happen with your tincture as it matures and different constituents are extracted out of the plants and brought into the solution over time. Um, also acrid and bitter constituents of plants, which is where we get these digestive bitter medicines um, or um Cocktail additions, so bitter constituents extract really well, which are also poisons. Um, they work, bitter constituents work so well on um, getting the liver and digestion going because they do trigger in our body 
um, this reaction to a poison. It's like, oh, I'm eating something that's bitter. It might be poisonous. Time to ramp up um, our ability to handle poisons. Time for the liver and the gallbladder to get working, our saliva, our digestive system. It's like, alert, alert, let's digest and be ready to handle anything that's coming through. Now, a lot of uh, the bitter constituents like say in dandelion that we're that we're working with are so mild that they don't have a poisonous reaction they but they trigger a reaction that is healthful for our body it doesn't overwork the liver but it, it awakens the liver and says okay it's time to like get to work here and then also um tinctures can extract you know these polyphenol polyphenols or flavonoids, these antioxidants um, and color constituents of plants. And these tend to be more water soluble, like there's a range. So they, they would extract better in a water and alcohol combination. There are constituents of plants that really do not extract well into alcohol, they need water. And if you if you put them in alcohol, they might um, just come out as a solid, like they won't be part of the liquid. You'll just see it as a solid in your tincture, or they might not even come out of the plant at all. And so minerals, vitamins, they don't really come out that well in alcohol. They really want water to come out in. Uh, Inulin, which is the prebiotic, it's in a lot of roots, and it's what our healthy gut flora microbes like want to eat. Um, so you'll see the inulin. That's a great example. Um, if you make like an echinacea tincture or burdock root tincture or an elecampane tincture, they have a lot of inulin in their roots. And you'll see a white sediment in your tincture. And that is the inulin that has um, settled out of solution. Saponins are water soluble. That's like what's in chickweed that helps to kind of break up, um, break up tissue. Mucilage, which is you know that mucusy, slimy, that's very water soluble and that helps to heal all mucous membranes in our body. But we're not going to be making tinctures to get that action from the plant or to get that constituent. And then also polysaccharides, which are long chain sugars, which are very beneficial for our immune response and our immune system. Um, so that is also very water soluble and not alcohol soluble. So it's a good thing to kind of when you really get into medicine making, herbal medicine making, just to have a sense of like really at least some really basic herbal constituents and why we might want to harness them from the plants and how they're going to affect our body and what's the best way to work with them. So if we want a really nutrient-rich, vitamin-mineral-rich medicine, maybe from stinging nettle, we're going to make a water based infusion. We're going to make a really strong tea or nourishing herbal infusion with it because we can consume a lot of it and it's going to extract all the min minerals and vitamins by basically cooking it and having it come out into the water. We're not going to take a tincture of nettle to get the nourishing benefits of it because there's not going to be the vitamins and minerals in the tincture. And even if there were the vitamins and minerals in the tincture, we're not going to be drinking a quart of 
vodka or some sort of alcohol and water combination in a day to get the minerals from it. That would kind of be counter counterproductive. So, and same with things like mucilage. If you want to soothe your mucous membranes, you're not going to take a tincture of marshmallow root. You're going to make a water-based extraction, especially with some even a cold water-based extraction to extract that mucilage. And then you're going to drink large quantities of it to nourish those tissues. If you want some of the more, you know, antiseptic properties from plants, the ones that are going to you know, fight infections um, because of their slightly poisonous nature, especially poisonous to microbes and pathogens, then we might use tinctures because those are going to extract the more um, antimicrobial parts of the plants and it's going to concentrate them and then we can take very small amounts. We can take drop doses, we can take dropper full doses um, so that we're not having to consume a large amount of them and a large amount of the plant material to get that benefit from them. So that's really why we tincture and what, what types of plants we're going to be looking for when we tincture plants. Okay, so the history of tincture making. Well, for us to have to, to be able to make tinctures, we need uh, alcohol to do that. Now, granted, like throughout history, human history, we have been able to ferment alcohol, you know, ferment sugar to create alcohol. And this, we didn't need any fancy, and we still don't need any fancy technological equipment to do that. We can simply, you know, natural yeast from the air can land on some sugar from um, whatever it is, uh, plants or honey and can start eating that and can basically start farting out alcohol. Um, so we've always had those wines, beers, and meads, which are honey wines, uh, were fermented and sometimes the herbs were put into the ferment so that they were fermented along with whatever the sugary, you know, the wine or the mead was. So they were um, kind of extracted in a fermented way, which the the yeast can really, you know, kind of change and make more available some of the constituents from plants. Then we would also maybe infuse herbs into wine or beer to give it added flavor and maybe to use that small percentage of alcohol to extract um, some medicinal constituents from the plant. Um, but really, the with the ad the advent of alcohol of distillation came from alchemy and the advent of alchemy. So prior to alchemy, um, there had been evidence of crudely distilled alcoholic beverages, liquors made from things like rice and mare's milk. Um, really dating back as far as 800 BC in Asia. And I think, you know, once we started, alchemy, you know, came into being, um, 
right kind of at the beginning of the common era. And it was essentially a mystical precursor to modern chemical engineering and therefore to modern drugs. It was like the start. So alchemy was all about understanding the nature of substances um, that were found in nature, the natural world, and unlocking their inner secrets. It was a way of trying to start to break down and look at the smaller components of things. And in so doing, maybe making new things um, out of them. So it really was kind of the the start of uh, chemistry or the understanding of chemistry. And But it had a mystical aspect to it as well. Like they were also kind of, I think, trying to find the spirit within things, um, trying to, you know, what is that life magic and how can we find that within constituent with, you know, is that a constituent that we can extract from substances in nature? They were trying to not only understand the substances, but through breaking them down, they were trying to understand the universe, um, the elements of nature, and life itself. And I think that this really is what science and all the different sciences stemmed from, um, in that science loves, from my perspective, to study life. Like, we want to understand life and how it works and how it all is made up. And what science does to try to figure that out is it takes it apart bit by bit and looks at the smaller and smaller and smaller pieces. How small can we go all the way down to quarks in atoms? You know, we just want to keep going smaller and smaller so that we can understand the wholeness and the big picture. And It's a really interesting and fascinating way of understanding the world and understanding things and understanding life. But what is missing is the life from that. Because to take things apart, you have to kill them first to really understand them. So it's it's a static view on something that is always in motion. It's It's like a, it's a picture. And then we have to try to like, see what the video, what what the whole movie is from that one still life picture frame. It was like, I remember I was in college and it was this, um, I was taking a class on mysticism. And one of the things that really stuck with me from that class is when the teacher was talking about uh, waves and points, I think it was. And so you know, life is a wave, right? It's always in motion. It's not a straight line. It's uh, fluctuating. And actually, I think it's more of a spiral. Um, And what science does to study that wave is it has to stop it, to look at it, uh, and to take it apart. And as soon as you stop a wave um, in motion, it becomes a point. It becomes like one point. And so you miss you miss the wave. And I know I am digressing a little bit, but I hope to bring this all back back around when we start talking about the different ways of making tinctures. So um, 
Okay, back to the history of distillation. So distilling uh, found its so so from alchemy, um, they there was a really well known alchemist, the first documented Western alchemist, and it was a woman that is known as Maria the Jewess or Maria the prophetess or Mary the prophetess or Mary the Jewess. And um, she had, she was attributed to the development of a still called the tribicos or tribicos. I don't know how to pronounce it, but it's basically a three-armed pot still. And it's not clear as to whether she actually invented it or was just very involved with its invention. Of course, probably if a woman invented it, it wouldn't be ascribed to her anyway. But um, I believe that this was in ancient Greece uh, in the first century AD. It was when at first when distilling, you know, we we started trying to extract the alcohol from the ferments and concentrate the alcohol from the ferments. And so then in the fourth century, Mary, the prophetess, I like that name the best, um, was an alchemist. And so she, you know, came up with, I believe she came up with this still. And then as distillation matured and continued over time, it was, you know, the alcohol became ever purer and the medicine that it makes became ever stronger. And the alcohol also becomes more hazardous to health. But I want to just talk, you know, give homage to Mary the prophetess a little bit. So she lived between the first and third centuries AD in Alexandria. Um, and she was one of the first alchemists. Al- chemical writers. Her works had been dated um, at no later than the first century. So I guess these writings, um, you know, then there was a um, another alchemist called Zosimos, who was Greco-Egyptian alchemist, who really kind of wrote a lot about Mary in the fourth century. Um, so he lived in the third and fourth century, end of the third, beginning of the fourth century. So this is like year 200 and 300. This is, you know, a long time ago, almost 2,000 years ago. Um, And so Zosimos was born in Roman Egypt, and he wrote the oldest known books on alchemy. And he credits the first description of this distilling instrument to Mary, the prophetess. And it's this instrument, the tribicos, or, is still used in chemistry labs today. And so Zosimos quoted Mary's writings saying that Mary recommends that the copper still or bronze, um, that the copper or bronze was used to make the tubes and that they should be the thickness of a frying pan and that the joints between the tubes and the still head should be sealed with flour paste. And I just love that because I think like to that, if she's writing about how they need the thickness and the and how they need to be held together by using um, common kitchen items, like that just makes me want to say that she did invent it. But anyway... Um, the practice of distilling alcohol, you know, 
gets more purified in the ninth century, it became clear that the goals for distilled alcohol were to be primarily used for ritual and medicine. Like I really think in alchemy, the goal was just to extract a smaller amount. And maybe it was because it was seen as this vapor, a vapor that could catch on fire, that it was potentially that was the spirit, right? That was the essence. The, but the goals were you know, primarily used for ritual and medicine. And in fact, the first documented use of distilled alcohol comes from the 12th century, a 12th century Italian medical school. So that was in the 1100s. And then the 13th century, they were able to distill alcohol multiple times. So each time you distill it, you'd get less water and more alcohol. Um, and you, they were able to actually, at that point, get it to 90% ethanol, which is very strong. And then the first published book on the subject, The Virtuous Art of Distilling by Hieronymus Bunschwig, was in 1500, and it treats distilled alcohol-like medicine as well. So, you know, all the way up, like distilling alcohol was really seen as a solvent for creating medicine. And even it was thought to be a medicine unto itself. It was a pain reliever. It was um, uh, antiseptic and a preservative. And then in 1618, people started to recreationally drink the alcohol. They would call it aquavite, the water of life. Um, and then in 17, 1796 was the first time pure ethanol was made. So that's not that long ago. That's only a couple hundred years ago. And then in 1825, you know, 30 years after it was first pure ethanol was made, they were able to start to synthesize it. And that's when they really started to realize, like, you know, as, the, as people started drinking it recreationally, they're like, oh, man, we need to make a lot more of this because people are drinking a lot more of it. It's now not just medicine. It's recreational. And the stills got bigger. And the technology around the stills got bigger. And then when they were like, oh, like we're making cars and we want and this could be fuel for the car because it burns. Right. It ex it's very explosive. Um, so they learned how to synthesize it so they could make it even, even larger amounts. So ethanol itself, it's definitely a drug unto itself, a drug being a concentrated, extracted, purified substance. And that's one. And I think that we really know that we have drugs when we are able to synthesize. It's become so purified and concentrated that we know that it's and, and brought down to such a small size that then we can synthesize it. It's not complex anymore. Complex things are a lot harder to synthesize than like single things. Um, it's not only a drug, but it is a, it's addictive, it's a fuel, it's a cleaner, it's a solvent. Um, so these are, it's funny because like the ethanol is, is basically like concentrated purified yeast farts, 
right? <laughs> because first you ferment a beverage to get the alcohol, and then you have to extract that alcohol from the ferment. It's if through a still, through a heating process, a heating and cooling process, because alcohol boils at a lower temperature than water does, so it's going to evaporate out of the water before the water starts to evaporate, and then you and then you expose it to the cold coil, and then it um, and then it comes back into a liquid from a gas to a liquid. And so this is pretty much the same, the same idea behind um, extracting essential oils or volatile oils and turning them into essential oils from plants, right? They extract through heat um, at a different rate than the water is extracted. And so where so we're essential oil is essentially a drug um, because it's so concentrated and purified through the still. And so vodka, in my mind, is more like the hydrosol, right? It's, it's, it's concentrated from the ferment and purified to the point where it's just water and alcohol. So it's more like this, the hydrosol versus the pure essential oil or the pure ethanol. It's just further down the line of making um, a drug and concentrating and refining it. So what tends to be more dangerous and hazardous for the body is once things are so concentrated, like ethanol, Everclear, um, 90% alcohol is really hazardous for the body. Like you can die if you drink too much of it. Um, vodka is a little harder to die from if you drink too much. And vodka, the word vodka actually comes from a word meaning water. Um, so vodka unto itself, I think, is a healthier solvent than straight ethanol. So at this point, you know, this is the 18, beginning of the 1800s, you know, Basically, distillation and alcohol is very prevalent around the world. The practice of distillation itself spread around the world and became more industrialized in the 17th and well into 18th century with trade and exploration and colonization. It really kind of spread around the world. And the stills got larger so that they could, and the tech got more got better um, in the Industrial Revolution so that people could really make larger amounts of alcohol. So there's the different types of alcohol that we are going to make tinctures with. I was just talking about the ethanol, also known as grain alcohol, Everclear. Um, that is 95% ethanol and 5% water. It's 190 proof Basically, you can't have an alcohol that is in in the air, uh, that's exposed to air, that's going to be any purer than that, than 95%, um, because of something having to do with the moisture in the air and the um, and how like it wants to bond with at least some amount of water. I don't know. I'm not a scientist. I don't know the exact details of that, but that is the purest that we can get alcohol. Ethanol, it's called grain alcohol. It's not necessarily, it could be made from sugar. It doesn't have to be made from grain. That's just a slang term from it. Everclear is kind of like the brand that had made it popular. You could probably also call it moonshine. <laughs> 
Um, so then vodka is is usually in the store. It's it's forty uh, percent alcohol and sixty percent water. That's kind of like generally what you're going to find in most alcohol bottles. The which so your proof is going to be it's going to be 40 proof because or no, it's going to be 80 proof. The proof is two times the amount of of alcohol percentage. So if it's 40 percent alcohol, it's 80 proof. If it's 50% alcohol, it's 100 proof. It doesn't mean it's 100% alcohol. It really only means it's 50% alcohol. So what I like to make my tinctures with and is 100 proof vodka, which is 50% alcohol and 50% water, which is more and more common, I think, these days to find. I can find it at uh, both of my local grocery stores. And there's multiple vodka brands that are now making that more than there used to be. Now, a lot of times when herbalists and especially um, companies that make tinctures on a large scale, they will use the ethanol the, and they will then add water in to it. So, um, and there's some reasons behind that. That way, one reason is you can make more, you can kind of adjust your percentage of water to alcohol depending on what constituents you are extracting. Um, also, it's less expensive to buy straight ethanol because it's not considered a consumable. It's more considered like a solvent, um, and so you don't have to pay the same amount of taxes, the same amount of alcohol taxes on it, because it's not meant for consumption. So that's a consideration. Uh, that's why they is one of the reasons why why they do that. Um, the big the bigger company, the bigger and even small tincture companies. But I think as home herbalists, which is what my main focus is on is like we don't really even want to have especially if you have kids in the house um, you know ethanol is actually very poisonous in the Everclear in that form and so it's not it's just not a safe thing to have around the house and in my perspective if we want our medicine to be healing um, then if we're using this like really strong solvent um, to extract the constituents then it's, you know, and if you're going to be using a large amount of tinctures, then that can be a problem. So that's another reason why I like the vodka, the 100 proof vodka. I also, vodka in, is similar to ethanol is great because it doesn't have much flavor, color, or other aspects to it. It's a very kind of pure type of alcohol. So the herbs can really shine and there's a lot of room for the herbal constituents to extract into the vodka. Um, now, how, why, why do we want a high percentage of alcohol anyway? And basically, tinctures work by osmosis. So, osmosis is um, 
if you think back to high school biology class, or at least that's where I, I like to think of it, you have a membrane and you have different concentration of water on each side of that membrane. It's a permeable membrane, right? And so water wants to seek equilibrium. It wants to be equal on both sides. And so it will basically get suctioned um, to the side that has the lesser water uh, concentration to find that equilibrium between both sides of the cell membrane. So tinctures work in that you are moving things from one cell to the neck, to the other side of the membrane. And so we want to have a higher, especially when we're using fresh plant material, we want to have a higher concentration of water on the inside of the plant cell than the outside. And we want it to be a high enough ratio where we'll get really good suction and we'll get enough extraction from the inside of the plant into the outside of the plant. So if we're going to assume that a plant is roughly a fresh plant, and this varies, and you can get super scientific with this, but for generally speaking, um, the inside of the plant is going to be 75% alcohol, I mean, yeah, 75% water. Um, the outside of the plant, you want it to be a lot less water than that. So if we're doing a 50-50, 50% alcohol, 50% water, we're going to get a pretty good pull from, from a ratio of 75% water to the outside of the plant, which is 50% water. If you're using, some people like to just use plain vodka where it's you have um, 60 Wait, you have 60% water and 40% alcohol, right, in your standard 80-proof vodka. It's 40% alcohol, 60% water. 60% water versus the 75% water that's inside the plant and the 60% water outside of the plant, that's not as big of a ratio. So you're not going to have as much of a suction and you really just aren't going to get as much out of that plant to, at, to the point where you reach the equilibrium. With dried plant material, um, it's important that water is used in the tincture to rehydrate the plant so that it can then be extracted back out. So even when people are using ethanol, if you're using fresh plant material, sometimes people only use the ethanol to get a stronger pull, right? Because you have 75% water in the plant and you have 5% water in your tincture, you're going to get a really big pull. Um, but you're not going to, anything that's water soluble isn't going to necessarily hang out very easily in that alcohol concentration. So you're going to get more of the poisons, more of the alcohol soluble constituents, constituents of the plant, and you're not going to get hardly as many water soluble constituents of the plant. With the 50-50 percentage ratio, you're getting both water-soluble and alcohol-soluble constituents of the plant. Generally, water-soluble constituents of the plant are going to have more modulating and nourishing effects on the body. And the more alcohol-soluble constituents of the plant are going to be more poisonous and have um, 
more quote unquote medicinal action on the body or um, antiseptic usually is what it is, uh, antimicrobial or pain relieving. Um, so when we are extracting a, or a tincture where we're using water and alcohol, the tincture becomes more gentle and more modulating um, in effect. And if we're using only the ethanol, it becomes more um, poisonous, more medicinal, something you want to use in a lot smaller quantities and might have more side effects potentially because you don't have the other modulators to balance that out. And that's really where we start moving toward on the spectrum, right, of food to drug. So if it's all going to be water-soluble stuff, that's more food. Halfway through, 50% alcohol, 50% water, that's going to be halfway in between a food and a drug. And then if we go straight to, you know, 95% alcohol solvent, and we're going to be extracting those constituents, we're moving more into the drug realm of a plant. We're extracting less constituents, and they're going to be the stronger constituents, and they're concentrating more in this solvent that's more harmful to the body. So for home herbalists, I think it's great for us to just live in that middle ground with our tinctures, the 50% alcohol and the 50% water. Now you say, well, why can't I just buy the ethanol Everclear and use, you know, and make my own solvent of 50% ethanol and 50% water? And you can do that. And that is what a lot of manufacturers do, but you're still using the, the, the more dangerous alcohol ethanol, whereas vodka, it hasn't you ha- it hasn't gone through as long of a distillation process to concentrate the ethanol as much. Like I said, it's more of a hydrosol than it is a diluted, a, a, an essential oil that is then added into something to dilute it. So, whew, I hope that makes sense. I know that's a lot. Um, and I know I've been talking for a long time already. This is... So I think maybe I will turn this into two podcast episodes because I have probably, I want to get into the three different ways to make a tincture. And I want to also talk about the best way, I think, uh, to make a tincture and why. So yeah, you're going to have to stay tuned for that next podcast episode to really break the down the different ways of making tinctures. But just to round out this conversation, um, I have been going through and um, telling you a little bit of my herbal journey at the end of each of my podcast episodes of late of in this new year. And so I thought I would, I, you know, we started out in my mother's garden and we took a little side side trip for catnip and shizandra, but I want to bring it back to my childhood. And I wanted to um, just tell you when I first met rose hip, rose hips, and it really triggered something in my brain. I was probably maybe 12 or 13 
and I was hanging out with like my aunt who is 15 years older than me. And she is very involved in, you know, kids camps and nature school. And she was very, she is still, you know, very down to earth woman. And I really have always looked up to her. She's my mom's younger sister. And we were spending time together at my grandparents' summer house here where I live on the, in the town where I live now or on the island where I live now. First was where I used to, you know, come and visit my grandparents in the summer and other family. And we were walking along the road that is, um, that kind of goes along a shoreline. And there's all these beautiful Rosa Ragosas that line the road. And it must have been August. Um, so the rose hips were ripening. And, you know, the Rosa Ragosa rose hips, they look like they could be miniature plum size. I mean, they're, they're small, but they're very large for a rose hip. There's a lot of meat on them. And I just remember walking along and she was like, oh, hey, check this out. Did you know that you could eat these? And I just remember being like, what? You can eat something that's like growing outside in the wild, <laughs> you know? And um, she's like, yeah, like, and she picked one off and handed it to me. She's like, just scrape off the outer edge of the fruit and the skin with your teeth and taste it. And I was like, okay. And I did. And I just remember being like, wow, this is amazing. It tastes good. It's growing right here in the wild on the side of the road. And it's, and it's, there and it's beautiful and that, I think that was like my first exposure I don't know I mean somewhere between 11 and 13 I would guess my first exposure to this concept of like foraging wild food and eating wild food and just being like wow this is really cool and I just that moment has really stuck with me and I think it really had some really formative aspects on how I viewed plants and the natural world at that point in my life and for the next you know eight years or so I was very obsessed with marine biology and I wanted to be a marine biologist and save the whales and I was all about the ocean at that point in my life but I remember just being like wow this is pretty cool so it was it was the start of who who knew that that was the very start and maybe one of the one of the early triggers in me of like okay this is this is cool stuff so i want to thank you uh so much for hanging in there and listening and i hope you found this interesting i hope it has maybe helped clarify some things um for you and i know i went pretty deep with it Next week, we're going to talk about the three different ways that people make tinctures. There's the percolation method, which is the most drug-like um, method. There's the weight to volume or the scientific method. Um, and then there is the folkloric or the folk method, which is, as some people say, just basically dumping a bunch of alcohol on some herbs. But it's more than that. It's a lot more than that. And of course, we'll get into depth on it all. And until then, I just want to thank you for being here, for listening, for sticking with me, even though I've taken some breaks here and there. 
I'm Bridget Doherty. You can find me on Instagram, Facebook, my website, all with the tag Soladago Herb School. Till next week, be well, let intuition guide you, and have fun with herbs. listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform check us out at believe.com and search for b-l-e-a-v on youtube